Well, this is really our first year of ministry here at Northwest, and uh, we've had a lot of firsts, so thank you for being patient and gracious with me and my family as we walk through what it looks like to be a member here at Northwest, what it looks like to be a pastor here in the city, what it looks like to go to the grocery store, what it looks like to find the bathroom in this building. So... um, Yeah, it's been a lot of firsts for us, and uh, the Lord has positioned us in a great position going into year two, and we, we, we believe the Spirit of God is present here, and He's about to move in a mighty way amongst His people. And so, um, you can just be praying um, for your pastor always, but um, just be praying. Um, my, my prayer is, is that God just continues to do a work here, and... Um, the last couple of weeks, we've seen God do amazing, amazing work. Um, we've seen a lot of salvations through the camps, through investments in people's lives, through community events, through all of these, these things that we invest our lives into. Um, Mauricio, when he got up here to talk about the mission trip um, that he went to in Texas, um, I don't think he shared this with you, but they had 42 salvations at that mission trip. Um, we had 10 salvations at Falls Creek alone last week. We had eight salvations at Community Advance. We had two salvations at, at our children's church. God, God is moving in ways that we can't see. Um, oftentimes when the word of God goes forth and the people of God are on fire for the message of the gospel, God does work. And so praise God for you and your faithfulness to continue to be here, a part of this community of believers. Praise God for you, for your investment in this community, in this city, in these people, in these children. And um, we just ask that God continues a great work. Praise him from whom all blessings flow. But uh, we have two more weeks after this in our series on the Christ-centered church. And so just to uh, catch you up on where we have been, we talked about the Spirit-led church and how without the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing and there will be no mission of God. There will be no fulfillment of his mission. The next weeks we talked about the mission of Christ and summarized that mission in the making of disciples in three ways that God does through his church, gospel proclamation, life on life, discipleship, and being a church on mission. And then when we looked, we began to look at five areas in which the church must have a heart for, a church must have in their DNA to perform the mission of God. And number one was the heart of worship. And last week, Zach did a phenomenal job talking about prayer and the importance of prayer for God's church. The importance it is, the driver or the engine in which the church moves forward. A church focused on glorifying Christ is a church that is on its knees in prayer. It must be in the DNA of a Christ-centered church. And the third um, characteristic of the DNA of a Christ-centered church is a church that has biblical or covenantal community. Um, Biblical community. That's that's what we're going to be talking about 
this morning. I, re- I recently read an article from the New York Times talking about the, the decline of real community in America. The article read, there's a mountain of evidence suggesting that the quality of our relationships has been in steady decline for decades. In the 1980s, 20% of Americans said they were often lonely. Now it's 40%. Suicide rates are now at a 30-year high. Depression rates have increased tenfold since 1960. Most children born to mothers under 30 are born outside of marriage, and there's been a steady 30-year decline in American satisfaction with their peer-to-peer relationships at work. A former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy summarized his experience as a doctor in an article in the Harvest Business Review. He says, during my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes, it was loneliness. The article then goes on to explain that one of the reasons for a lack of meaningful relationships on the rise is, as the article explained, the rise of the smartphone. Last year, Gene Twenge wrote a much-discussed article for The Atlantic, Have Smartphones Destroyed? a generation, charting the accelerating social collapse. Teenagers are suddenly less likely to date, less likely to leave their home without their parents, and more likely to put off activities of adulthood, meaning they're just laying around in their parents' house. They're spending more time alone with their digital screens, and greater the screen time, the greater the unhappiness. Eighth graders who are heavy users of social media are 27% more likely to be depressed. They summarize all this saying loneliness, social isolation are problems that undergird many of our other problems in society. They say that Facebook and other social media feed this epidemic of loneliness and social isolation. And people who are heavily involved are often not in tune with the people that they're walking right next to on a daily basis. Now, I say all this to say, I find it so interesting that when we read secular articles, the Bible has the answer to these world's questions. The word of God speaks to the issues of our day. God has designed for the church or the household of God to be in community with one another. It is through that community that encouragement comes for people to have saving faith, lasting hope, and a love that produces action. Guess what? The assembly or the church is how God has designed us to live in community with one another, life on life. So when we look at this passage this morning, my purpose in preaching you this passage is to explain to you that walking in community is God's plan for his people, his church. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10 with me and we'll read starting from verse 19, and we'll read and see what God has to say about community with one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. We're going to go through 27. 
page 1007 in the Bible in front of you if you don't have access to it. These people are standing in honor of God's word as we do here at this church as we respect the word of God and its fullness and its accuracy and errancy. Verse 19, Hebrews chapter 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated this morning. I'm going to pray for us as we study God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We ask that you would speak to us, Father, about your church and gathering together as the saints and living in biblical community with one another. And Father, as we, as we explore this, as we see the text of Scripture, Father, reveal to us what you are calling us to do. And Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you that even in the midst of our mess-ups, the things that we do wrong, you still love us. And Father, may we show that same grace and love for one another as we love one another in community with one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the things I love to do is uh, watch animals. I love to go to zoos, um, Watching animals in their natural habitat is even cooler, but I don't really get to go across the world to the plains of Africa very often, so the zoo has to do, right? But if you're like me, um, not everyone who who gets to go on safaris all the time, they like to, to view these videos or these movies or these documentaries about films about wild animals and if you've ever seen any of these films like planet earth or or these type of films you'll know that that they always capture the hunt and during these these hunts the the, the music will get dramatic and and you'll begin to feel this hunt and about 30 minutes or an hour later right the predator will finally figure out a way to get its dinner. But often the predators will normally go after the sick or the young ones who are separated from the herd. They go after the one that has no protection from the group. It's often 
that we see this in nature, but we also see it in scripture. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You see, when a sheep goes away from the protection of the flock, they are an easy target for the lion or the enemy to devour. This is true of Christians not in community. You see, when a a Christian brother or sister decides to walk alone, they are in grave danger of being swallowed up by the world and the enemy that seeks to devour them. You see, the body of Christ is many people joined together with important roles and functions to bring glory to God. And the, he, the writer here in this section of scripture is pleading with the people to encourage one another in the faith, a faith that saves, a hope that endures, a love that produces good works. It is meeting together in community in which this encouragement happens. Now, it's not always rainbows and butterflies. I'll tell you that right now. Being a pastor of a church, it's not always wonderful. But guess what? God has designed his community to reflect the body of Christ. Christ likeness. And this is what Jesus says about it. He says, John 13, 35, Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, it's only in authentic, vulnerable community with one another can the body of Christ actually build one another up. So let's look at the text this morning. The book of Hebrews is written to tell the believers of the superiority of Christ. If you read Hebrews 1, it tells us of who Christ is, the superior one, the God himself. The writer spends the first 10 chapters telling us that Christ is better. Christ is better. And now he gives us the response to this great Messiah. What is this response? And he begins in verse 19 with the word, Therefore, because of this great high priest, because of the one who has saved you from sin, because of the Messiah, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through the flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, what is the answer? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, with an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast The confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Our first point this morning is the church is a covenant community. The church is a covenant community. You see, a response to the gospel is a covenant community. 
You see how the the church is referred to multiple times in this section of scripture. He begins with brothers, talking about believers in Christ. Then he uses the phrase in verse 22, let us. He uses we. Let us draw near with a true heart. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another towards good works. In verse 19 and 21, he uses the we. You see, the passage screams that the Christian life is meant to be lived out in community with one another. By the new and living way that he has opened through the curtain that is through the flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. We have confidence to enter this holy place. He's referring here to the holy of holies from, from the people. The, the, the curtain into the holy of holies is torn in two. By Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we have access to a holy God by this new and living way. But this new and living way he's talking about, he is referred to in chapters 8, 9, and 10 to as the new covenant. Jesus talks about the new covenant in Luke twenty-two twenty, 20, and he's sitting down with his disciples at the last the Passover meal, and he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. You see, the old covenant, we call it the Old Testament, the old covenant, the law pointed us to our need for Jesus. The new covenant ushers, Christ ushers this in through his death on the cross. And the new covenant does two things for us. It cleanses us completely from sin. And it gives us the ability, the ability to obey God because he has given us the spirit of God to rest upon us, the Holy Spirit. And so the book of Hebrews is saying that Christ has ushered in the new covenant through the blood of Christ. Christ is better than the law, the act of grace. So what is covenant? We've used this term in our main point. We use the term now in a couple of times. He uses it in chapters eight and nine here. He's referring to it here by this new and living way. What does Webster say? Good old dictionary, Right? Well, Webster says this, a covenant is a written agreement or promise, usually under seal, between two or more parties, especially for the performance of some action. So it's an agreement between two people for action. The key word here is for the performance of some action. You see, God has created these covenants in which he is acting upon and he asks people to act upon in scripture. God creates covenants with people in the Bible, Abraham and Moses and Noah. 
But we also see in scripture covenants with people, with people, man with man, with one another. Some examples are David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel 8. 18, we speak of marriage as a type of covenant in which we covenant together and saying we are going to be married. We are going to be one for life. In Nehemiah 9, the people of God covenant together to live for God and their action of how they are going to live together. So this essence of a covenant is to be found in a particular kind of relationship between persons. Mutual obligations characterize this kind of relationship. Thus, a covenant relationship is not merely a mutual acquaintance, but a commitment to responsibility and to action. A key word in scripture to describe that commitment is faithfulness. God never breaks his covenant because he is faithful, right? In the marriage covenant, we are called to be faithful, acted out in the context of an abiding friendship. Look at verse 22 with me. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is what God does in our life. He washes us completely clean. Christ is presenting his bride, the church, in fulfillment of the new covenant. And our part in this covenant is to have faith that God not only saves us, but cleanses our hearts, that he washes us completely clean. And the pure water here is a reference to sanctification and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live a holy life, to be able to obey God and his word. Titus 3, 5, and 6 explains this clearly. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. But then continuing on in verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There's more to the Christian life than just being saved. We hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Because our God is faithful. And we see this playing out in the body of Christ, in the church. So this working in us is not only a vertical working that God is doing, but also horizontal. He now begins this connection of one another in the context of the Christian life being played out in a covenantal community with God and one another. But then continuing on, he says, let us hope. This is an expectation of what God is doing. 
We, we tend to think of the word hope as a, maybe I hope I can hit a hole in one on the golf course. That's not the intention of the word. It's an expectation that it is going to happen. Not because we are unwavering, but because God is unwavering. Then verse 24, he says, and let us consider how to stir up one another toward love and good works. Again, let us together. We are doing this, walking with Christ, holding fast to our hope without wavering together as a church. Covenanting not only with God as we partake of the new covenant by faith, but also covenanting with one another. This is the local church coming together and saying, we are going to be a part of the body of Christ. Its essence is a covenantal community, not just a gathering of people, but a people who say, I want to be the church together for the glory of God. At some point when you became a member of this church, you said, I want to be a part of Northwest Baptist. And thus you became part of this congregation, not only saying I'm placing my faith in Christ, but I'm doing it together with these people. I'm not only holding fast to the hope I have, but I'm doing it with these people. I'm not only being stirred up towards good works, but I'm doing it with these people. It's what we see as covenantal membership of a local body. You say, I'm in Christ, but I need one another to encourage me together for the gospel The local church is a covenant community agreeing to be the body of Christ together. In a world in which we live of non-commitment, Christ calls to the church to respond in deep love that produces action. This is the church. And this is why church membership is so important. He has spent 10 chapters telling us about the gospel, how great Christ is. And now he says, now let us hold fast to who Christ is. And how do you do that? You do it together in the body of Christ as a church. Look at what he says in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is our second point this morning. The church assembles together for encouragement. The church assembles together regularly for encouragement. The word neglect means to abandon or to desert or to cease. Not neglecting to meet together. The word for church in the Greek is ekklesia, which means called out ones. Because God's church is the people of God who are called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The word also has a connotation with the assembly or the meeting together. And this is what covenant community does. It meets together. Why? 
Why do you meet together? Because the encouragement is needed in this world, this broken world in which we live. My friends, if, if you're not a member of a local body, if you're not a member of this church, my friends, join in with, with one another who believe in Christ, who preach the gospel, who are willing to give their life for one another. Go through a, our membership DNA class. We'd love for you to take out, take that class. It lines out what membership looks like here. A lot of times in our worldview today, we look at the church as a consumer. What do I get out of it? But the reality is, is the gospel is about giving. And in the church, we encourage one another. I, I often speak to people and they think, well, they say, well, I, I do church at home with Charles Stanley on the television. The problem is the gospel is about giving. So how can you give to your fellow believers in need? How can you encourage one another if you're not with them? One of the important steps that we have here at this church is, is to create these smaller communities that encourage people. These small groups in which they are called at Northwest is a way to not only know Christ, to grow in Christ, to go with Christ throughout your life on a daily basis. These avenues we have for small groups is on Sunday morning, some home groups throughout the week and on Sunday nights, and some groups that we have around our campuses on Wednesday nights. And guess what happens? These small groups, they give people an opportunity to live Christ-centered lives, to be in community with people, to know their needs, to confess sins, to be open, to be able to hear godly counsel. It gives people an opportunity to be cared for, to be prayed for with their physical, spiritual, and emotional needs, to walk through difficult times in the family of God. And guess what? It also gives them the opportunity to be challenged in their walk to grow, holding people accountable to being the word of God. And when they need restoration, to restore them gently back into fellowship with God and with the church. Look how many people are in this room. It's impossible for me alone to shepherd every single person in this room. I can't know all of your issues. I can't know all of your problems. But guess what? You need to be in community with one another and have godly counsel with one another. There, there are a tremendous amount of people within this church who are mature in their faith and understand what it means to walk with Jesus. We have got to be in community with one another. We have got to have small group leaders who raise up and go, I am going to shepherd this group of people. I am going to watch where they are, what they're doing, who they are, how they're cared for. 
And we need our people to be vulnerable and be open and being honest and going into a small group and going, I need help. I don't know what to do with my marriage. I'm not sure what to do with my depression. I'm not sure how to handle this situation with my life. The question is, can I be a Christian without joining the church and being in true, genuine, biblical, and covenantal community? Let me ask you this. Is this the answer, right, can vary. But can you be a Christian without joining the church? Yes, it is possible. It's something like being a student who doesn't go to school, a soldier who doesn't join the army, a citizen who does not pay taxes or vote, a salesman with no customers, an explorer with no base camp, a seaman on a ship without a crew, a businessman on a deserted island, an author without readers, a tuba player without an orchestra, a parent without a family, a football player without a team, a politician who is a hermit, a scientist who does not share his findings, a bee without a hive. Some people tell me sometimes, you know, I've been really hurt by the church. I don't really like the church, the gathering of believers. But I like Christ. I follow Jesus. I like, to, I like to ask the question, how can you love Christ yet hate his bride? This is the bride of Christ that he is washing clean, that he is presenting before God. Yes, the church is made up of sinners. And yet when Jesus walks around his people and is working in and among his people, it is a beautiful thing because of the gospel of Christ. That's it. If we try our hardest to be a good church, guess what? We failed. We will fail every single time. But if we rest in the goodness and the grace and the forgiveness of Christ, then we'll see God glorified in this church. You know, I I have to admit sometimes as your pastor that I try to do it on myself. I do. I try to do things the best and the possible best that I can. And you know what? The Lord just keeps telling me over and over again, rest in the grace of God. Rest in the gospel of Christ. You are not good enough. Rest in Christ. The response to Christ, to place your faith in him, to hold fast to him, to love and good works, and is meant to be done together, encouraging one another. So what does this mean? This means get into a group, a small group of people. If you don't have one, start one. I'd be happy to show you what that looks like, how you can do it, how you can do it together in your home or in the church. We have plenty of space here. 
If you haven't committed your life to a group of believers, a body of Christ, become a member. Pour your life into other people. Allow them to pour their life into you. And I, I thought about just ending the sermon there, but I can't. Because the next section really tells us what happens to us if we're not receiving that encouragement, if we're not hearing the gospel in our own life, if we're not willing to be restored and gently corrected within the body of Christ. What does it say? It says this, for if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now we have to understand this. He's saying, because of who Christ is, walk together as the church, the body of Christ, holding fast to your profession of faith toward encouraging one another, towards love and good works. And now he's saying, There are some who are not holding fast, who are not being encouraged towards love and good works. This is our third point this morning. The church exists to glorify God. You see, the passage is talking about people who know the truth of the gospel, who understand it, who have tasted the beauty of Christ. They've walked in the hallways of this church. They have sat in the pews. They have listened to the word of God and yet choose to not repent and to continue to live for themselves. This is the church member that truly has never been saved and continues down a path to destruction, but has some form of godliness and yet denies its power. This is where true biblical community comes to that brother or sister and there is accountability to either walk with God or not proclaim the name of Christ. You see, you have people that love you, that come alongside you, that encourage you in love and what we would call church discipline. Which we see in 1 Corinthians 5 and Matthew 18, very clearly outlined in scripture as how to handle restoration within the body of Christ. But guess what? Today's world of consumer church, the thought process of what can the church do for me? People often hopping from church to church, going from place to place. Many churches, even in our city, don't even have church membership. And why? Because they base it on the fact that they don't want to offend anyone or make someone commit. But this is not what the Bible has to say about membership. 
in membership, in community, in genuine community, there is accountability. And being a part of the local body means something. When people walk in a way that they should not walk, and they go down a path of unrepentance, the church, the people of God care enough for that person and are walking with them in community enough to know about it, to encourage them to repent and return to fellowship with God and with one another. Why? Why do you ask? Isn't that my business? Because the church exists to glorify God. The church in genuine and authentic community with one another will glorify God. In the genuine community, the people of God encourage one another to walk with God. And in verse 39, at the end of this section, the writer of Hebrews says this, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So it all goes back to the beginning illustration of the sick, of the herd, that strays off by themselves. Church, are we going to go after them? Are, are Are we literally going to to leave the 99 to go after the one? Do we have genuine community enough to know that this one is sick? And, and guess what? What about the young ones? I mean, you, you may ask, Rob, why do you care so much about children's ministry? I care about children's ministry because they are, they are in a world of destruction. This world is destroying some of our young people. And guess what? We need to pour everything we've got into new believers, to young children. This is a biblical community. It's hard. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. It's hard to have people in your home. It's hard to be in real relationships with people. It gets messy when you know the ins and outs of people's life. And yet, when we do this God's way, when we're focused upon Christ and what he's done, and we're holding to the profession of our faith that is built upon the gospel, and we're encouraging one another. What's the result? Fruit, love, and good works. Love and good works. This is biblical community. This is the Christ-centered church. This is my prayer for us as we move forward, that we would be a genuine community of faith 
that cares and loves, spurs one another on for the gospel, being on mission for Christ. Let's pray. Thank you.